So thank you, Randy, for uh, leading. And thank you, Justin, for uh, reading the scriptures to us. It's always good um, to see the young guys getting involved and doing things um, in our services, and it's a, a delight to see that. So thank you. So the reality is there's a crisis going on in our society. Uh, there's a crisis going on in the world. There's a crisis that takes place in our society which affects every single section of our society. Um, it used to be very different. It's amazing how quickly this crisis has taken root and how it has grown and how it has affected people. I think the biggest group at the moment that I see that are being affected by the crisis that we're talking about in just a moment are those uh, who are probably from about eight, nine years old up to about 20. That particular group at the moment um, is the one which I would suggest is facing the biggest onslaught um, to uh, the way that they are growing up, that they are living, and that they are beginning to see how society works. But it's certainly not just them. It's uh, something which is uh, affecting all of us. And uh, it's just so apparent. And of course, the crisis that I'm talking about you've probably guessed, is the crisis of how our conscience has been affected and changed. So only a few years ago, there are things that are taking place today which we just seem to accept as being normal behavior. But a few years ago, and by a few years ago, I mean a very short period of time, there would have been seen as totally unacceptable. They would have been seen as things that we don't think about, that we don't get involved in, that we don't see. And so, as I said, this period of time that has changed uh, um, very, very greatly, and we discover that uh, there is a massive problem with our consciences. Of course, this is not just on an individual scale, it's on a national scale. If we look at our own country of Canada, we see that the conscious acceptance of different things within our society here has altered massively. And so there are now things that are acceptable in Canada and in Canadian society, which just a little while ago would have been deemed as being morally repugnant, morally unacceptable, morally uh, to be rejected because it would not be accepted as being right. And so some of the things that we could talk about, and we don't need to go into all the list, but uh, I was talking to someone this morning who had made the point very clearly that when he went to see his doctor, he said, I don't want to be euthanized. That was his opening statement. Now, you might think to yourself, well, should it be that anybody would have to state that to your doctor? Well, the reality is you've got to be careful, chaps. Because at the moment, Canada is rushing ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to these things. America is having trouble putting murderers to death. And Canada has managed, I think, two years ago to bring the lives of over 10,000. And that's just the ones that are officially recognized, people in, in this country to bring their lives to an end. And not all of them are because they are necessarily terminally ill. You know, what's the definition of terminally ill when you begin to look at it and to think about it? And so you discover that something has changed. We don't need to talk about drugs that have come in. You know, now, uh, when you talk to somebody... Uh, there's a possibility here in Canada that the person has been <laughs> smoking marijuana and isn't in their right mind. Other drugs are now being tested and tried in, uh, I think it's British Columbia, with a trial that's taking place so that you can have two and a half grams of heroin. And it's deemed to be acceptable. And then we talk about the moral issues of sexual morals. Now... The concept of multiple partners is perfectly normal. 
the fact that many, many problems come from this, sexually transmitted diseases. Young women particularly that are struggling because of disease, which is now on the rise because of the change in our conscience, the change in our moral understanding of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And the list goes on and on and on. So this evening, I briefly want to try and talk about conscience. Now, the Bible has a massive amount to say about conscience. The Apostle Paul made the statement on several occasions. He said, I've thought about it. I've considered what I've said. I've considered what I've been doing, and my conscience is clear. In other words, he was comparing himself to God, to God's word, to God's leading. He was comparing himself to what it was that was expected of him as a Christian leader. And he was able to say, as I look back, my conscience is clear. And so this evening, we want to find out what it is. How do we know our conscience is clear? How did the Apostle Paul know that his conscience was clear? And then, what's this got to do with the gospel? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that one of the problems that we're beginning to see today is the fact that people's consciences are no longer able to appreciate what it is that's different about a Christian, what it is that is actually required by God. I mentioned that our young people are under uh, enormous pressure, and they are. Um, I have to say this, and you know what I'm going to say, but to be honest, the Internet's responsible for a massive amount of it. Now, when a young, youngster of, say, 8, 9 years old, 10, 11, 12 goes online, and they join things such as Snapchat and so on, do, are you aware of the stuff that is thrown at them and it's presented to them as being normal? It's presented as being acceptable. It's presented as being what everybody else is doing. It's presented as being the only way that you can live. And for a young person who is just forming in their mind what it is that they are, who they are, what their life is to be like, it's so easy to pick up and to say, okay, so this is normal. This is what's okay for me. This is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen in my life because everybody says it's okay. Information about how to take photographs of yourself and how to send them to other people. If your teenage daughter starts asking for new lighting in her bedroom, be careful. But what do we do? How do we deal with these issues? What do we do as Christians? Where are our morals? Where is our conscience? Because I'm telling you, even within the Christian church now, the standards have changed. And it's deemed to be okay to have multiple relationships. It's deemed to be okay to smoke marijuana. It's deemed to be okay that we don't always tell the truth. And the problem is, friends, that when we come to the Scriptures, we discover that God has laid down a way that we have to live, a way that He wants us to live. And here's the thing. If we follow God's plan, then we will have the best life that we can ever imagine because it will be in the place where God wants us to be. To be in the will of God is to be the be in the best place that we can be, is to be in the safest place that we can be. 
And yet now, it's almost as if people are saying, but that's old-fashioned. That's too hard. I don't want to be different. If everybody else is doing this, why should I be different? When we talk about uh, our consciousness, the dictionary tells us that our conscience is that inner feeling or that inner voice that acts as a guide to the rightness or the wrongness of our behavior. And our conscience is not just limited to one particular part of our life. This consciousness that we all have is applied to everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think. Every inclination of our heart is put past our conscious, our conscience. Now, mental health experts tell us that around 10% of the population of Canada at any one particular time hears voices in their heads. They're wrong. A hundred percent of the population of Canada hears voices in their head. And that voice is your conscience. Because when you step off the line that you know is right, your conscience tells you. And it's like there's this alarm clock starts ringing in your head. And, 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 and suddenly you begin to feel uncomfortable. Well, that's at the beginning. But we're going to discover that our conscience is not safe if we don't look after it, if we don't care for it. Because what we might consider wrong one day, the next day changes. Because we've lost the connection, we've lost the anchor. And suddenly we're like a boat drifting towards the Niagara Falls. I've stood there and I've watched all that water going over the end and my mind makes me think, I wonder, I mean, who would be daft enough to go in a barrel over there? But people have done it. And I think to myself, could you imagine haplessly uh, in some rubber dinghy out on the lake and you don't read the sign or whatever it is that says, you know, danger, Niagara Falls ahead. And you just go over the edge. And I've want to remind you, friends, that this is the danger that we see happening all around us, and the acceleration that it's taking place is colossal. And I pray that parents here will begin to hear and to understand some of the things that I've been saying. If I said to you, as I look around, the number of people, not just our young people that are on Snapchat here, there's a number of adults here as well. And if you press the Spotlights tab, or the stories tab, do you realize 80% of it is, is sexually orientated? And that's what your youngsters see. That's what they are able to look at. doesn't require any passwords or anything like that. It's there. And the temptation is there. And every time you see an image, it changes your consciousness a little bit more and a little bit more until suddenly everything becomes acceptable. And not only acceptable, but you seek it. You look for it. And you will find it. Because Satan works that way. The word, the Greek word conscious, or, or the English word conscious, is made up of uh, two uh, Latin words. The word con meaning with, and socio meaning to know. So we know with our conscious, our conscience. 
And that's why I'm saying that everything that comes along, we put it through our conscience, and depending where our conscience is, depending if we've guarded our conscience, depending if we've just let our conscience go by, will determine what we find and is acceptable and is not acceptable. Turn with me, if you would, to, uh, to, uh, to Romans chapter 2. <coughs> Sorry, I should be a bit sharper on this one. Romans chapter 2. As I say, the number of verses that we can look at to talk about our conscience uh, is colossal. There is no real limit in that sense. Because the thing that this uh, verse here in Romans tells us is that God is so gracious to mankind that when we're born, every single one of us is born with a conscience that is embedded into us. We're all given an opportunity to be able to keep that conscience clear. And of course, so many of us don't. But God has graciously brought that to be a part of us. Every child knows right and wrong. And Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 simply say this, and the word Gentile here could be substituted for sinner. For when Gentile sinners who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So the Apostle Paul is just saying very clearly, very simply, very much to the point, even the Gentiles have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Even the Gentiles understand the law because the law is a moral code. Not because they're saved, not because anyone's preached to them, but because we are all created that way. You find among all cultures in the world a sense of right and wrong. Now, it might be different to what we would suggest is right and wrong. There's a sense of sin, if you like. There's a fear of judgment. And you see an attempt to bring atonement for sins, what appears to be wrong. There's a sense of wanting to appease whatever God or gods that a culture may have. So it isn't just Christians that have a conscience. If that was the case, well, imagine the world we would live in. It's all of mankind. The fact that we have a conscious conscience in itself, in my understanding, is a clear and very powerful proof that evolution is just wrong. Because how does the survival of the fittest ever allow a conscience? By very definition, it can't. We are different to the other animals in this world. We are born with an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. 
we're able to discern things on a level which enables us to know if this is what we should be doing or not. And we'll come on to explain what happens when things go wrong. Conscience is a part of God's general grace to all people. And that is what Paul is saying here in Romans 2, 14 and 15, when he talks about the fact that the Gentiles do by nature the things in the law, even though they don't know God. This evening, I want you to try and think of your conscience as a window, okay? And this window allows the light from God to shine through into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls. So what would possibly stop God's light from shining into our hearts and into our lives? Well, I'm going to tell you. How do I know? Because God's Word explains it. It's like this window suddenly becomes dirty. It's like it begins very little, and suddenly the dirt begins to spread, it begins to build up. It's like driving when there's snow and all that salty stuff they put on the roads. Have you noticed how your car changes color and everybody's driving around in a salt-colored car? Because you pick it up as you're driving along and the window becomes dirty and you've got to keep the windscreen wipers on to, to try and keep the dirt at bay. And this is a picture of, 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 of our conscience. Because it's this window that allows the light of God to come in. But if we begin to mess around with it, if we begin to touch things and do things and go places where we should not go, then you'll discover that your conscience becomes dirty. And all of a sudden, without you realizing it, it becomes so dirty that the light of God just can't penetrate it. It might have started off with something that was absolutely innocent. You had no problems in being involved in it. And this is why I say to young people particularly, and I urge you to think about these things, I urge your parents as well to understand, if you expose your children to the danger, the dirt sticks. And it's the hardest thing in the world sometimes to say no but if you love them, you will. Because the window becomes dirty. And the light of God's love is not able to shine through it. Something's gone wrong. Our consciences are not working as they should. We have a good conscience and we have a bad conscience. And the Bible tells us that we have an evil conscience. We discover that people rob others. They'll swindle our senior citizens out of money, out of their home, everything. They will steal. They will kill. They will rape. They will traffic young women into sex work. Are you aware that Toronto has the biggest network of, ch of sex uh, for youngsters, for children? Not in North America, but in pretty well the world. And this is Canada. What's gone wrong? The window has got dirty, both from a national perspective, but from an individual perspective as well. The light is not getting in as it should. <coughs> and it's sin that makes the window dirty. It's our selfishness that makes the window dirty. Because we want to have everything our way on our terms. 
Now, sin is subtle. I've mentioned this. What seems right can be wrong. It creeps up on us. And it can creep up on us before we have realized what is happening. It creeps up on us before we're saved, become, before we've come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And it creeps up on us afterwards if we're not careful. And God graciously in his word warns us about these things. And the result is that the window gets dirty. And it gets dirtier and dirtier to the point that the light of God is not able to shine through. And when this happens, the Bible introduces a new description for our conscience. It's the word defiled. And so we turn very quickly to Titus, uh, that little uh, letter. Um, <coughs> after Timothy. Titus 1, verses 15 and 16. They're beautiful words, actually. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. You see, the words that are spoken of in the Scriptures, they, they're to the point. They're hard. And we try to water them down. Well, a little bit won't hurt, will it? I was talking to a guy the other day who said, you know what, one of my um, uh, discernments as to whether I'm going to watch a film on Netflix is, does it say on the warning, nudity and sex scenes? And if it doesn't, he doesn't bother watching it. Because his conscience has now been changed so that instead of looking for the words, there's nothing like that in here. <laughs> I don't know what the words are. <laughs> he looks for the fact that that is what it says. And then you think a defiled conscience. I mean, this is a conscience that is marred. You think that's bad enough? But the Bible doesn't stop there. God's word goes on and says that there is a conscience which is in even more a serious condition than just being defiled, just being marred or spoiled because that's what defiled means. And in 1 Timothy 4 verse 2, we read this, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. What does that mean? It means your conscience has no sensitivity at all. It means that what was wrong is now right. It means that what was evil is now good. It means that what was unacceptable is now acceptable. It means that what you used to run from, you run to. It means that there is nothing that you're not prepared to get engaged in and to do. Because it's been seared. There's no sensitivity left. 
You see, if we persist in obeying, or rather disobeying, and, and carrying on in our sin, our conscience becomes so seared that we lose the ability to discern right and wrong. If we sow sin against our conscience, eventually our conscience feels nothing. It stops working. And something incredible happens. Good becomes bad. It's even possible for our conscience to be so poisoned that it'll approve of anything that we want it to approve of because now it's not our conscience that's in control, it's us and our desire and our desire for sin and our desire for what is wrong. Now, Hebrews 10.22 brings a further description of the conscience. When it gets to this point, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There it is. Our conscience has now become evil. And the reason is always the same. There's no change. It's sin. When we let sin into our hearts and into our lives, our conscience becomes so desensitized. And eventually our conscience approves of anything. <clears throat> I say this graciously, but there are some of us here this evening who may have allowed our hearts and our conscience rather to become to this position. They've become insensitive or worse, defiled. And God forbid, perhaps even seared. And evil is now the dominating factor in your conscience. Now, what does our conscience depend upon to be good? What does our conscience depend upon to be working and functioning normally, to be doing what it's supposed to be doing, to being a filter to determine what it is that's going on in the world around us and in our lives? What is it that we need to be able to see it working as it should be? Well, put very simply, we've got to do some window cleaning. What we've got to do is to, is to, is to get the, the, the Ouija thing out and spray the window with water and soap and things. And we've got to start cleaning it because that's the only way that the light will come in and shine through into our hearts and our lives and begin to revive our conscience so that suddenly we begin to see what's right and what's wrong again. And we're able to say, no, I'm not going to do that because that is wrong. I'm not going to do that because that will destroy my marriage. I'm not going to do that because my future rests on it. I'm not going to do that because it will bring my relationship with God into disrepute. And so we've got to do some window cleaning. Firstly, it requires exercise. Not star jumps first thing in the morning. Not press-ups or whatever it is that the keener ones here do. But we've got to do some exercise. We've got to work. We've got to break out into a sweat. 
Paul, in Acts 24, verse 16, helps us to understand the effort involved. Because it is effort. And many of us don't want to put the effort into it. But Paul says this. He says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and towards men. Notice the word strive. What does it mean? It means to work hard. It means to have a determination. It means setting your sight on the goal and to keep going, even though you're up to your knees in mud. And everybody else is fighting against you and saying, don't be so stupid. Everybody's doing this. A class of 30 kids at school, and, and, and you're the odd one out. And it's tough being the odd one out. It's tough being the one to stand up against the crowd. But God demands that we do. He wants us to live pure lives. And he's laid out his standard in his word. And we need to be prepared to follow it. So the first thing is, is that we've got to strive. We've got to work hard. We've got to get into the gym of reading God's word, if you like. We've got to get into that place where we're prepared to put time and effort and we're prepared to invest in ourselves, prepared to invest in our conscience so that it is able to work properly because that's the only way it will. And if you sit back in your armchair in front of the TV thinking, well, my conscience is going to start improving someday, no, it won't. Before too long, it'll be gone. Paul works hard. But what does he work hard at? The scriptures tell us, one Peter tells us, it's knowledge. Our conscience is dependent upon our knowledge. It's dependent upon our knowledge of God. It's dependent upon our knowledge of his word. It's dependent upon our knowledge and our relationship with him. Because that's where it comes from. Our conscience is dependent upon our knowledge of God. It's dependent upon our understanding of what sin is. It's dependent upon our determination to make a stand for him. Because if you slip on that banana skin, you won't watch the next one that's coming along. Because you began to enjoy what you saw. You began to enjoy what you did. Our conscience is dependent upon our knowledge. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we discover that we need to study. We need to learn the Word of God. We need to come along to Bible study. We need to come along to church. The man that stays at home on a Sunday morning when his family have gone to church, what is he doing? The temptation is there. When you could be in the house of God, meeting with your family and worshiping God together and distancing yourself from the opportunity that you have. Our conscience is dependent upon knowledge. The knowledge that comes from God. 
And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we discover that that is where our focus has to be. And as we do this, our conscience becomes sensitive. Becomes sensitive to what's good, what's bad. It becomes sensitive to what we say, the places that we go. And as we spoke of on on our Bible study last week, we're not a stumbling block to others because our conscience will say, be careful for this person. But we have to work at it. Read the Word and focus on our relationship. Now you can look at yourself in the mirror and feel that you need to lose a little bit of weight here and there. I looked in the mirror recently and felt that I needed to do something about this. And I can look in the mirror and think to myself, well, you know, really ought to try and sort this out. But it's not going anywhere unless I do something. And you can stand in front of the mirror, if you like, of your soul, and you can say, yeah, I really should get on with some decent Bible study. I really should try and meet other people and learn what God has to say and sort my life out from this moral perspective. But if you don't get up and do something, it's not going to happen. You've got to take the initiative. You have to make the time. You have to be prepared to say, God, help me. Lift me out of this mire that I'm in. Take me to the level that you want me to be. And do you know what? He will flood into your heart and your life. And he'll lift you out. And you one day will be the person that everybody will look up to and they will say, wow, what a transformation. I see Jesus in this person. Can you imagine that? And it starts because your conscious changes. It becomes sensitive to everything that God would have you to be sensitive to. So, we know what the problem is. It's sin. We know how it causes the problem. It stops the light of God coming into our hearts and into our lives. We also know what the result is. A good conscience becomes a bad conscience. We know how to restore our conscience. It's with exercise in the Word of God. But what are the benefits of a good, healthy conscience? How does a good conscience help the believer, help the Christian, and particularly in the trials and the difficulties of life that we face? In a world where the filth is thrown at us and we're told that this is okay, this is how it should be. Well, firstly... It makes us strong. It fortifies us. It gives us courage. How does it give us courage? It gives us courage because all of a sudden as our conscience is functioning and working properly, and I say this without giving the impression of being proud, but we know we're right. Do you see what I'm saying? Your conscience, if it has the light of God's Word shining into it. If we have studied and if we're growing and if we're learning, suddenly we can look at a situation and we can say, that's wrong. And I am right. And I am right because this is God's plan 
and God's purpose. So the great benefit that we have is that it gives us strength. It fortifies us. It encourages us to know that we are right with God. And this in turn means that we are no longer afraid in the world in which we're struggling with. And I'm suggesting that we're not proud in this sense, but it's such a wonderful thing to be able to say, I have sought the will of God and my conscience tells me what is right because I see it and I know it. If we're confused or opinions differ, well, we come back to the Word of God and we see what the Word of God has to say. We are people of the book. We live by the book. We love the book. Even when perhaps we don't really like what God says as to how we should live. If we start to base our conscience on what we want, then our selfishness will take over. And our conscience will say, okay, that's what you want, go for it. Because that's what takes place. And that's what happens. But if we start to base our conscience on God and His love and His word to us, then we will want to do what He wants us to do. But a good conscience also gives us something else. A good conscience gives us peace. And you know I'm right, don't you? Who's stayed up all night? Because you went against your conscience. And however hard you turned in that bed, you couldn't get any sleep because you went against your conscience. And so, a good conscience will give you peace. A good conscience gives you a good night's rest. Peace in our hearts. It enables us to remain calm when everything else is in turmoil. We don't worry about our children so much because our conscience tells us we've done the right thing. Because our conscience is in tune with God. Are you distracted? Are you becoming irritable? Agitated? You become angry, you become frustrated? You can't function at your best. Your job's beginning to slip. Your family's beginning to fall apart. And you find yourself at enmity with others. Even the people you love. Because your conscience no longer filters what it should do. A good conscience enables sleep. And this evening, if your conscience is shot through, if you have allowed sin to come in and numb your heart, you've got to take action. You've got to deal with it. Are you tired of the mess of your life that it has become? You've allowed sin 
to sear your conscience that even if God was screaming at you, you wouldn't hear him because you can't listen anymore. The secret is to practice the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. The verse before, the two that we've looked at, verse 15 says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. This means to make him Lord. And to do that, you have to confess your sin. You have to turn to him in repentance. And you have to ask him for the desire to live for Jesus, to read his word, to call upon him for your salvation. In other words, a great place to start cleaning the window is to come to faith in Jesus Christ and see your whole life transformed and to see that conscience repaired and brought back to how it should have been because God created you and he loves you and he's concerned for you call to him ask him to save you look to heaven and see Jesus who died for you was buried and rose again for you anybody who's called to him has never been turned away not one person who is sincerely called out for salvation did God ever say I'm so sorry you're not my type. It's amazing how he loves us all. And so please call to him for salvation today and see your conscience changed <coughs> as he moves in and lives with you.